This episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you by Lloyds Bank. With their Club Lloyds current account, you can now get 12 months of Disney Plus as your lifestyle benefit. To know me is to know that I love watching things on TV, so I am so excited to tell you about this. You might think that Disney Plus is just for Disney films. And yes, it's great for all of them. We must have watched Disney's Frozen at least 100 times by now. But it's so much more than that. With Disney Plus, there is endless entertainment with exclusive originals, brand new series, blockbuster movies. And it's just one of the great benefits that you can now get with a Club Lloyds account. I highly recommend watching The Bear if you haven't seen it yet. It's all about a talented chef who's presented with the challenge of overhauling his family sandwich shop. Season two is coming soon and I can't wait. Lloyds Bank are taking care of not only your banking needs, but entertainment too. Visit lloydsbank.com forward slash Club Lloyds to find out more. £3 monthly fee is charged to maintain the Club Lloyds account, but waived each month that you pay in £2,000 or more. UK residents, 18 and over, Disney Plus subscription required. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you very much to Lloyds Bank. Hi, I'm Margie Nomura and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. The question is, what would you choose as your last meal? Hi, I hope you're having a lovely week. Before we get started, I just wanted to say a huge thank you for listening. We reached the number one spot in the iTunes food charts this week, which was so exciting. And I'm just so happy to be back with you each week, bringing you all of our brilliant guests and their desert island dishes. One of the best bits of doing this podcast is definitely all of the amazing people that I get to meet. And it's exciting to speak to people from the world of food and beyond. We all eat and whether your job is to cook or not, what we choose to eat and what we love to eat and the stories that go with that are what I find so interesting. So this week is with Anushka, who you will hear is keen to tell us that she's not a good cook, but you wouldn't know that from her answers. Lots of delicious choices in this one. And we find out the story of how she got to where she is today. And it's a good one. I'm a really big fan of her work with The Brilliant Breakfast. It's such an amazing initiative and something that I'm keen to learn more about and see what we can do to help. I love listening to podcasts and I'm always on the lookout for podcast recommendations. So I wanted to tell you about an episode of the Liz Earl Wellbeing Show I recently enjoyed. This one was with Kimberly Wilson, who is a psychologist and also nutritionist. And she's coming on Desert Island Dishes soon, which I'm very excited about. Her conversation with Liz is really interesting and she talks about food in a way that really makes you think. You know that I'm obviously a passionate advocate of food and celebrating all of its deliciousness, but I do also find it very interesting to learn more about the science of food and how it can affect us mentally. So I loved this one. Liz is an author, entrepreneur, and general well-being guru. Her podcast is about health and well-being and helping us to have a better second half. Liz's mission is to find ways for us all to thrive in later life by investing in our health and well-being today. You can find the Liz Earl Wellbeing Show wherever you listen to your podcasts. So that's all from me. 
Thank you to Lloyds Bank for sponsoring us this season and helping us to bring the show to you each week. And now let's get into today's episode. My guest today is Anushka Dukas. Anushka is a jewellery designer, creative director and entrepreneur who founded the British jewellery companies Links of London and also Anushka Jewellery. After studying in Paris in the 1980s, Anushka embarked on the first of many extensive world travels, stopping to spend time in Hong Kong where she first began to design jewellery. In 1990, together with her husband, she founded Links of London, a global luxury jewellery brand, and in 2009, she went on to launch the eponymous Anushka. Anushka enjoys a star-studded fan base, including the likes of Rihanna, Jennifer Lopez and Kate Middleton. In 2012, she was awarded an MBE by the Queen for her services to British jewellery industry, which spans three decades. In 2019, she launched The Brilliant Breakfast, which generates money for disadvantaged young women and girls in the UK. It's raised over £2 to date and is the only annual fundraiser dedicated to enabling disadvantaged young women in the UK. Welcome, Anushka. Thanks very much. I feel very honoured to be here. (laughs) We're very honoured to have you. I wanted to start by finding out how do you feel at the idea of being sent to a desert island? I'm an only child, so actually I'm... I kind of quite like the idea of yeah. this time. I don't know how long for, if I'm going to be there forever. <laughs> so you're quite good in your own company. I'm quite good. I'm quite used to being in my own yeah. company. And are you resourceful? I'm pretty resourceful. Whether I'm resourceful when it comes to food, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> We're going to discover. So lockdown was a very bizarre time. But Anushka, with everything I was reading about you, I think you had the best lockdown experience out of anyone that I came across because you happened to be in Kenya with your family at the time it was announced. And so you extended your stay. I mean, that must have been a very strange but amazing time. We were so lucky. We literally, we had arrived when lockdown was announced. And I was like, why would we go back when we can be here? It was an extraordinary experience. And what other time in your life do you have three months of nothing in the diary um, and all your children with you? It was absolutely fantastic. And Kenya wasn't really locked down in the same way. Um, So we were able to do quite a lot of things, actually. We were able to um, go and see the gorillas in Rwanda, which inspired a kind of gorilla charm and the gorillas were thrilled to see us because they hadn't seen anybody else <laughs> for a very long time. They were like, what's going on? <laughs> and the time difference in Kenya is, is very good because actually it's three hours behind. So you had kind of the mornings to do a bit of yoga and a bit of exercise before the UK woke up. Mm. <laughs> it must have been a strange feeling when you were actually able to come home. Were you ready to come home? I really got into this whole kind of very healthy lifestyle. But in the end, yes, I, 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 I mean, I'm a real home person, so I love home. I know your Russian heritage plays a very important part in the way that you design. And your mother was Russian, so I'm intrigued to know if that's going to play a part in your answers today. Let's talk about the first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Well, it's funny you should say that, because um, the dish that really reminds me of my childhood, I don't know, Margie, whether you've ever heard of it, it's called Pasca. No, I haven't. And it's a Russian, it's traditionally eaten at Easter, And it's made from curd cheese and dried fruit and cream and various things. And it's just a whole ritual. And it comes when you kind of mix up this curd cheese and it's quite difficult to do and you have to sieve it and God knows what. Um, And then you have to put it in a kind of wooden 
form, so it sets. Mm -hmm. And so that played a really important part at that particular time of year over Russian Easter, which Mm. is, as you probably know, Orthodox Easter is a different time. So it's a sweet cake. It's a combination of kind of cheesy, it's a bit like a Russian cheesecake, I guess. And I just have real, real memories of of doing that um, with my mother. Yeah, it's just been a real influence in my life. But weirdly, that that's kind of what because I really struggled with this. I'm like that's so clear in my head. But the other thing that really reminds me of childhood is cheap sweets. I love cheap sweets. Any in particular? Uh, yeah, foam bananas, mm. um, blackjacks, um, uh, li- anything to do with licorice. The sweets have been a real influence in my life, actually, in terms of you know when it, at links I designed the sweetie bracelet. Mm. Um, and that was all around those. Do you remember those those yes. elastic sweeties you put Vividly. on and you ate them off your wrist? Yeah, yeah, the best thing ever. It's so funny how things influence you. Mm. So that's kind of how the sweetie bracelet came about. Oh, that's so <laughs> interesting. I love that. And do you cook Russian dishes for your children now? No, absolutely not. I, I mean, I feel a real <laughs> fraud being on your podcast because I'm a really lousy cook. I've just got to say. <laughs> First of all, I don't believe that. And second of all, if you are, that's interesting too. So you are just more than welcome in in many different ways. I've heard you talk about your mother and how she's continued to be a great source of inspiration to you throughout your life. But in researching this interview, she really was amazing and so entrepreneurial, which is obviously no surprise given your own success. But can you tell us a little bit about her horse importing business? Because I think that was one of the reasons that you travelled so much as a child. I mean, she she was extraordinary. Um, and she was only around really till I was 23. Um, but she had an unbelievable influence on my on my life and um, she was very good horsewoman and she used to go to Russia and go and choose Russian quarter horses and bring them back to England and develop them into what ended up being top class show jumpers but what it meant is that I was able and being an only child I guess uh, it was very easy to go with her Um, but we'd go to these extraordinary places in Russia far into the countryside um, you know in a very different Russian Soviet Russia so my memories are quite are quite vague of it but again you know it it absolutely has influenced so much of my design ethos and I, I have a collection called Touch Wood and that was inspired by the Russian churches, uh, all the kind of beautiful dome churches, not the kind of wonderful basilicas you see in Moscow and St. Petersburg, very embellished, but very simple wooden onion dome churches. And so my touch wood collection, um, every piece has a piece of hidden wood at the back of it. So you don't necessarily see it. Because so jewellery for me is so much about what it means to the person. It's more important what it feels like and what it means to the individual. Mm. And so my mother wore... She, the other thing is she wore this um, touchwood ring. Um, it wasn't called that. It just I've always called it that. And so what kind did of, it look like? I actually think it was a Van Cleef ring. Mm. Um, and it was quite a chunky piece of wood with a yellow 18-karat gold inset piece of gold. Um, but what it meant is that your finger was inside this wooden ring, so you're always touching wood. Oh, wow. 
And I, I love that. I, I say that all the time. I'm like, you know, yeah, everything's fine. Touch wood. You yeah. know, always do that. Mm-hmm. You've described her as smoking big fat cigars and you'd sit on the plane with 70 or so horses and boxes. And you've said since that it was all quite eccentric. But to you as a child, were you aware of that or did it just seem completely normal? I was lucky enough to travel. Uh, as you said, I did. I, I travelled uh, in the back of a plane with literally probably 50, 60 horses in front of us, all in mini stables, with mum puffing on this giant kind of Havana <laughs> cigars. I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, it all did seem pretty normal. Um, although I do remember being at boarding school, and I went to boarding school when I was nine, I guess, and I do remember going to other people's houses and thinking that my house didn't look like that, and we had this giant uh, kind of double story. It was a garage, actually. It was a coach house for a house up the drive, but it had this double-story height sitting room, which was painted absolutely bright red, and we had... Um, all these rather beautiful, well, it turned out to be carpets, but that, that were put on the wall. I do remember thinking when I asked friends to come and stay that they might think this house is a bit weird. Um, so there were things like that I was kind of conscious of. You've said that no wasn't a word that you were allowed to use. You had to taste everything once, try everything once and push yourself to be brave. And these weren't just things that she told you. She really did lead by example. And I think the story of how she started supplying the fish to Annabelle's in London is a very good example to show that. Yes, (laughs) it it is really important, that lesson of not being allowed to say no. The the story of Annabelle's is that she started this fish business and um, Mark Burley was her kind of oldest friend and um she kept telling him that the fish at Annabelle's was filthy um, <laughs> so he said to her well okay if it's so filthy you find me some better fish because at that point I think you don't pretty much only buy from Billingsgate and mum used to go and play golf um rather bad golf I seem to remember um in Rye in um, Sussex and she used to go um to the, to the boats, literally on, on the quayside and buy fish there. So one day she thought, OK, well, I'm going to take this fish. So she bought some turbot, literally put it in a bucket and delivered it to Annabelle's on the bar at <laughs> 11 o'clock at night and said, give that to Mr Burley. Anyway, he rang her the next day and said, OK, well, I think, um, I think you're right. And that was the kind of beginning of her fish business. And she ended up supplying kind of 60 of the very best restaurants in London with wet fish, as they say, literally straight from the boats. But what was quite amusing about it is she had a fully plastic car called, uh, it's a Citroen Maharani or something, right? I can't remember what the car was called. Bright red. And so she used to deliver fish in this bright red plastic car. But the beauty of it was that she could literally hose it down (laughs) afterwards. Very Um, important when you're delivering fish. Very important. She was pretty eccentric, has to be said. You've said what she did with Mark at Annabelle's was a very brazen thing to do, but that must have been an amazing thing to see as a teenager, that you can literally make things happen and just not to be afraid. Yeah, I think, I mean, as I said, it all seemed pretty normal to me. (laughs) Um, She was incredibly brave. And um, my father lived in New York since I was very small. So um, she was kind of not single mother, but... um, but she was looking after me and she was trying to start a business. And when horses and importing Russian horses stopped being so simple, mainly because all the all the rules over quarantine changed, etc., she had to find another way. 
and supplying fish to all the best restaurants in London was the way. Who would have thought it? I mean, who would have thought it? Exactly. Let's pause there and talk about the second desert island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. As I said, I'm not a good cook, but so I've learned to cook something very, very simple, which my mother taught me, actually. Very simple pasta, fresh tomato and basil, um, pasta sauce. Um, and it's obviously essential that the pasta is cooked al dente and smothered with delicious, freshly grated Parmesan cheese. See, Anushka, I knew I didn't believe you when you said you couldn't cook. That sounds heavenly. No, it is heavenly, but it's pretty simple. But (laughs) food doesn't have to be complicated. I think that's like a big misconception as people don't think they're good at cooking. But I think it's Nigel Slater who said that if you can make a cup of tea, you can cook. It's just you have to change your idea of what cooking looks like. Mm, I'm just going to tell my children that. Yeah, (laughs) Nigel Slater said (laughs) I was a really good cook. (laughs) (laughs) So in the late 80s, you were working as an estate agent in Hong Kong and it was your mother and her fish business that inadvertently led to the beginning of Links of London. Can you tell us the story of what happened? Gosh, I mean, what an unlikely uh, start to a business. But yes, you're right. I was working for um, Hamptons in Hong Kong, um, selling property to Chinese investors who were looking to get out of, uh, to invest in London. Um, And one day mum rang me and she said, look, I've got 60 chefs, they're all men. I need to give them a present. Have you got any ideas? I was like, well, not really. Uh, I'm selling property. Um, But then I rang her back and I said, actually, I'd just been to the Philippines. I'd found this silver workshop. So I just said, why don't we find a picture of fish in a book? We'll make them into cufflinks and you can give those to your chefs. Because I'd I'd never trained to design jewellery. I didn't go to university. I didn't do any of those things. So I thought, well, if I just find a picture, that'll influence. um, That that can be the beginning of of a design. But it was cheaper to make double. So we made 120 pairs of fish cufflinks. I sold 60 to mum, who gave them to all her chefs, you know, anyone from Michelle and Albert Rue to Roly Lee, and they were thrilled with them. But more importantly, I had these extra 60 that I, by which time I'd moved back to London, I got these extra 60 pairs of cufflinks. So my lunch hour from Hamptons, I thought, well, okay, I'm going to ring Harvey Nichols. You've got to remember this is, as you say, late 80s. And so there was no email or anything like that. So I had to pick up the phone, which was quite brave at the time. Anyway, I rang the buyer at Harvey Nichols, lovely lady I'll never forget. She's called Fiona Duff. And I said, can I come and see you? Um, anyway, I went to see her and showed her these fish cufflinks. And she said, well, these are great, but I can't just take one pair of cufflinks. <laughs> and it was at a time where, you know, there were Thomas Pink were doing those kind of elastic knots. Mm. And there was very little between that and very expensive 18 karat gold cufflinks. She said, well, why don't you come back and see me if you've got some more designs? I think she thought she'd never see me again. Actually. Anyway, <laughs> little did little she know. Did she know. <laughs> um, so I went back to her a few weeks later with kind of, you know, a whole load of uh, samples of pig head and bum on the other side and golf bag and ball. Anyway, and then I literally sent every friend I knew into Harvey Nichols and said, just go into Harvey Nichols, buy these cufflinks, I'll buy them back from you, don't worry about it. And Fiona rang me a few weeks later and she said, sales are absolutely amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We need to reorder. 
Little did she know that I'd, um, I was just regurgitating the cufflinks I bought back from my friends. Oh my goodness, Anushka, <laughs> um, that's amazing. Anyway, and that was, um, that ended up being the beginning of Links of London. And hence, oh, you know, cufflinks, links. And that was where the name came from. How incredible is that? Because you were working as an estate agent at the time. If that had never happened with your mother, do you think somehow you would have still found your way to jewellery? No, I don't think so. It wasn't like a secret passion that had been like bubbling under the surface. You know, I so wish I could say that, but no, it really wasn't. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. And it's so, I feel so lucky that something that started like that has become an absolute passion Mm. and you know and yeah 32 years later whatever it is it still is and you set the company up with your husband and I wondered how was that how was working together well he wasn't my husband at the time okay he was a lawyer in Hong Kong and when we when we set it up it sounded it sounded much bigger the company if it was John Ayton and Anushka Duka so then you have a co-founder uh, we had a co-founder <laughs> and it just sounded bigger. <laughs> We're very lucky. We worked together for a very long time now. We, we, it's been incredibly easy um, as long as he sit, sticks to what he's good at um, and he's good at all the strategy, the vision, etc. And I'm very much about the, anything visual, the design, the way things look, the stores look, and most importantly, you know, how the jewellery feels and um, how you wear it. So... I mean, we're so lucky we, we have been able to do that. It also gives you this enormous freedom. So you have four children now. And, Anushka, um, how did you do everything that you've done and also have four children? Well, being married and, and sharing that was incredibly helpful in that. Mm. Don't get me wrong, I had lots of help. I had a lovely nanny. You know, everything's juggle. Yeah. It's all <laughs> juggle all the way. I think one of the things that's really fantastic about working with your husband, there's no politics and there's no ego um, and that makes things very, very simple. Mm. And you know that you each have each other's best interest at heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that that has made it easy. I don't think everyone can do it, but we're very lucky. No, um, I don't think everyone can do it. Definitely, Anushka. <laughs> Let's talk about the third desert island dish, and that's the best dish you've ever eaten. Well, I think the best dish that I've ever eaten is all around breakfast. Mm. I love breakfast. I think breakfast is the best meal of the day. I don't actually have it every day, but when I do, I love it. And I think shakshuka is just the most delicious, simple breakfast brunch. You tomato, eggs, chilli, really simple. Five minutes to uh, prepare. Uh, as you can see, there's a bit of a seam here. <laughs> I like it to be really simple. Um, and 20 minutes to cook and absolutely delicious with kind of, you know, delicious crusty toast with it. Yeah, no, I love that as an answer. And it's the food at breakfast, but is is it also the occasion? Like, do you really make a thing of it on the weekends? I mean, John loves reading the papers. So, you know, it's quite, he reads the papers literally cover to cover. But no, <laughs> it's all part of that. Um, the ritual. Yeah. After selling Links of London, you realised that the quiet life was not for you. And in 2009, you created your eponymous line, Anushka, to fill a gap in the market for beautiful, contemporary, but easy to wear pieces. Tell me a little bit about that in-between time, because you'd achieved so much and presumably didn't have to work. But how did it feel after you sold the company? Selling the company, given that 
I was the one that really wanted to sell it, actually. I think if I hadn't wanted to sell it, Don would have been very happy to continue. But it really felt like selling my fifth child. Mm. It really did. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't expect that. And the other thing I didn't expect, actually, was literally having sold it and gone to sign the the deal. We're like, okay, let's go shopping. And both of us said, okay, we'll come back in an hour. And John had bought a pair of socks in the sale. <laughs> and I bought a thing of mascara. I mean, that was it. It was big spenders. Yeah, it was really <laughs> pathetic, actually. Um, but the answer is, is, it was very surprising how I felt after it and what happened in between. Because I kind of thought part of the reason to sell it was to look after the kids and um, and be maybe a more present uh, mother. I think I was thought, you know, when Marina went to boarding school, God, I need to make sure I'm around more. But so in that time, um, John set up uh, Brands of Tomorrow for Walpole, which was all about um, mentoring young brands. So I got quite involved in that and mentored various young brands from me and M to um, various others. And I absolutely loved that. But there was a sense of frustration as well, so that you'd go and chat to new founders, etc., and offer your two pennies worth of advice. And you go back the next month or whenever you next see them and say, well, so what should you do about that? And they may or may not have done it. Mm. But, and I, I was just like, this is so frustrating because it seems so obvious. So I kind of felt I needed to be back in charge of my own destiny. Mm. That's um, really interesting. I also think because people dream about setting up a business, but often I think that dream is about selling it and the life that that could then afford you. And actually what we're learning more and more is that the dream is the journey. The dream is running the business and getting to do something that you really love. Yeah, that, I think that is the dream. And also it allows you to meet such interesting people. It allows you to travel. It allows you the, a perspective on the world that perhaps I didn't think I would get if I was full time at home. And more importantly, I think the children also <laughs> didn't think it was ideal I was at home. Um, I think I became the nag from hell. Um, well, they were so like, think, you're, you're around too much. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think you need a day job. Um, and <laughs> um, once I dug up my garden twice, I think it, John was like, you really need a day job. This is very expensive. <laughs> and um, um, I've worked since I was 18, you know, so I kind of feel like uh, I love what I do. Yeah. Your jewellery is worn by the likes of Gwyneth Paltrow, Jennifer Lopez, the Duchess of Cambridge and Rihanna, which is just so cool. It's a huge success by anyone's standards. And I wondered, what are the most important lessons that you were able to bring from Links of London to Anushka? I think one of the things I really learned from Links of London, which actually was quite a complicated business, because Links of London, it started with wholesale. We did own label. We had a corporate business. We had a franchise business. And the last part of that business was retail. Um, So actually, it was incredibly complicated. And the moment you're not fully in charge of the the relationship with the client, Mm. that makes things complicated. So with Anushka, we absolutely decided that we wanted the relationship to be direct with the client. So that makes it a very simple business. So we just have our own stores and that makes a big difference. So we just have stores here in the UK and then two in Hong Kong, which is an immense uh, privilege because I love going to Asia. I love Hong Kong. So I think that was really, really key 
in the way that we set up Anushka. And also, because the world's changed so much, we didn't need to have stores. We, d- we don't need to have stores all around the world. Everything's available. You know, you can find it online. And also, I really like the fact that it's very much about London, that you don't find it in every city you go to. Because I travel a lot, and I'm often disappointed that the same shops are everywhere you go. Mm. I want to seek out independence. And so there were lots of lessons, but those I think those are the two most important. We're going to pause there to talk about the most important question of the day. Anushka, what is your favourite sandwich? Well, it's funny you should ask me about my favourite sandwich because when I was, when I lived in Australia, so I was about 19, I guess, I set up a sandwich business with a friend. (laughs) (laughs) It was called Lunch on the Run. And um, the sandwich that set us off and made everybody, you know, love buying from us was a chicken, macadamia nut, asparagus and mayo sandwich. Mm. Um, so that there's something about that that's become my favourite sandwich because it, it evokes such vivid memories of trogging round <laughs> office to office um, selling sandwiches. And it was at a time where Robin Burley had set up his sandwich business at Burley's. And so I was kind of inspired by that. And so that was my favourite sandwich. I love that. So was it kind of like a chopped chicken salad, like all mixed together with the mayo or was it? Chopped salad with with the mayo and then small pieces of chicken. I think it might have had some bacon in it actually now. You're reminding me Mm. of that. Um, Anyway, it was... um, It was great fun. I think lunch on the run needs to be resurrected, Anushka. That sounds delicious. There's a brilliant podcast called How I Built This. And one of the questions they ask these seriously successful people is how much of their success do they attribute to timing, luck or circumstance? And how much of it was determined by them, their talent and their skill? And I thought it would be so interesting to hear what your thoughts were on that question, because you've done it more than once. So how much of what has happened in your career can we really attribute to the former? Well, I think, as I said, I really did fall into the jewellery business thanks to my mother's fish business. Um, so I think I think that was absolutely lucky that I, A, I'd found a workshop, uh, the right workshop. I think we, we also recognised, as, as links started, that there was a real gap in the market and potential to have affordable, beautifully presented presents that for everybody but at the time predominantly men that you know because men are so difficult to shop for (laughs) um so I think there was a bit of luck but I think it's really important to be able to recognize the opportunity and run with it so I don't think things are all about luck you run with the idea Mm. and take real advantage of that idea and the second time round with Anushka um, I was doing what I really love. I couldn't actually find jewellery that I wanted to wear that wasn't, you know, the, the landscape's changed so much now. But actually, when we started Nishka in 2009, there was very little between Links of London and the high jewellers, Cartier, etc. And if you wanted to have something really individual and not what I'd say is kind of corporate jewellery, you would have to either go to a gallery, that's quite scary, Mm. or you'd have to commission something and that would be very, very expensive and also quite 
scary, perhaps. Um, so I guess with Anushka, I was really just wanting to design what I wanted to wear. And being that much older, 18 karat gold for me is kinder on the skin. It's uh, more flattering. So I was designing things that I really wanted. And also I wanted to take the kind of reverence out of jewellery because I think as soon as you, you, you talk about jewellery, particularly for British people, I think at that time it's, it was something you didn't buy for yourself as a woman. But interestingly, 85% of our clients are women buying for themselves, yes. which is a joy, <laughs> absolute joy. And also I think it was, you know, people used to think that jewellery was, was to be worn for kind of occasions. And I'm, all, as you can see, all about lots of jewellery, not for the occasion. So, um, sorry, that was a rather long-winded no, answer. I love it. But I think it's a real combination mm. of luck, opportunity, and being able to see where the possibilities are. Mm. I think your point as well about it being personal. If you're doing something that's relevant to you, the chances are it's going to also resonate with other people. And I that's think sort of so. a good beginning. I think so. Yeah. And it took me quite a long time to realise that, actually. And you asked me earlier what happened between Lynx and Anushka. And actually what happened is I was just designing jewellery that I couldn't find for myself. So I was designing something that I wanted to wear. Mm. Um, and then uh, other people would say, well, I really like that. And so I was like, actually, I might as well just do what I, yeah. what I love. And I have some kind of experience. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit of experience. <laughs> the fifth desert island dish, what's the dish you eat the most often? Okay, this is another really simple dish. It's also completely delicious and it reminds me of a lot of time spent as a child in Italy. It's stracciatella alla romana, Ooh. which is um, effect effectively it's chicken broth with an egg whisked into it um, and parmesan cheese and salt and pepper and it is the most delicious thing in the whole world mm -hmm. and it's so simple. And actually, if I could eat that, Every day I'd be very happy with that. Mm, amazing. <laughs> Is that the kind of thing that you make for yourself? Yes. And weirdly, I, I think my mother my mother absolutely made that for me um, when I was small. So I see that as real comfort food. I made that for my children when they were little too. Yeah. Um, but I didn't always do the chicken broth. And but so what I would do is I'd make them this um chicken broth with actually with a variation with pasta stars in it. Mm. And when they were ill or got home from school, they'd always say, could, could I have that? And one day they caught me making it with a chicken stock cube oh. <laughs> and some pasta. <laughs> and anyway, I've never really been able to live that down. <laughs> but it's a real comfort food for them too. <laughs> yeah, there isn't always time to make stock from fresh. I'm, yeah. I'm with you though. <laughs> So inspired by your relationship with your mother, you're a huge believer in paying it forwards and kicking the door down for the next generation of women. You've worked with mentoring girls in schools and Give a Future and also being a patron of the Prince's Trust Women Supporting Women. I think a lot of your work around this topic is focused on building confidence in women and girls. Is confidence something that can be learned? Um, and what are the cornerstones to ensure that we are raising confident girls? I do think confidence is something that can be learned. But when you're at the beginning of your journey, you don't believe that. Mm. You really don't believe that. I mean, I was so lucky that even my mother being around just till I was 23, she gave me the confidence that I've 
needed. But that can come from just a very quick conversation with somebody. And that's why I really do believe that it is our duty to help particularly disadvantaged young women, which the Prince's Trust do such a fantastic job of helping and looking after. But just to give them the little bit of guidance to show them the way and to believe in themselves. Young women particularly don't have the confidence or the kind of or belief in themselves to think that they can mm. and just the can is what's so absolutely vital. Mm. So that's why I set up the Brilliant Breakfast was really to raise money to really fund projects to help disadvantaged young women specifically. Mm. And I think there's something very powerful about women helping other women. Because I think women are very, um, well, they tend to be straight to the point. They also very generous, I think, with their time and their advice. And I'm always so excited when I get a room full of women over lunch and I do kind of inspirational women's lunches and I will ask some of the young women from the Prince's Trust to come and just see how it works because actually it isn't about big speeches and kind of standing on a podium and it's not about that. It's just about being honest and, and having a chat. Mm. And I just feel very lucky that I've been able to to kind of pass on some kind of help. Mm. I, I think that's such an interesting notion that one conversation is enough to set someone on a different path and to totally change their life. Being told as a teenager that you are capable of doing something, that can be life-changing. It can be, but it also might not happen until you're older, yeah. you know. And and in a way, that's even more frightening, mm. isn't it? Because you, you don't want to make mistakes. So I think that at all stages, it's just so nice to have somebody to go to for advice. Mm. And the Brilliant Breakfast is such a clever idea because... I love the notion of doing this over food. It's something that we talk about time and time again on this podcast, but food is so central to something like this. I feel like you can have conversations that you wouldn't normally have over breakfast or surrounded by food. And through the Brilliant Breakfast, what do you hope is the biggest takeaway for people? Well, first of all, I would like a brilliant breakfast to be happening in every household in the country um, in a few years' time. But I think it's just really important to know that uh, that any money raised from brilliant breakfast, and it is very, very simple. All you do is you decide to have breakfast. You can have it at home. You can do it walking. You can do it wherever you like, and it really can be as simple as a boiled egg or a croissant or a whatever. But what I want people to do is come to breakfast knowing that they're coming there to help other women and to give whatever they can afford and there's no set amount, it literally could be a pound, um, but knowing that they are going to be helping other women um, to fulfil their dreams, I guess. That's a really powerful thing. You have said that you are not a good cook, but I do know that you are a wonderful host. So let's talk about the sixth desert island dish. What is your go-to dinner party dish? Well, uh, now that I've discovered a Thermomix, oh, yeah. have you discovered a Thermomix? <laughs> I don't have one, no. Is it going to change my life? Yeah, you yeah. <laughs> absolutely need a Thermomix. So now I've discovered a Thermomix. Um, I've always loved risotto. You can see there's a real Italian theme coming in here. And actually, I've now discovered the Thermomix makes it very quickly. But there is something rather lovely about preparing a risotto, stirring it, chatting over a glass of wine. I also 
like the fact that it's one saucepan um, and all the ingredients in it. Mm. So I haven't got to start worrying about whether that's going to be overcooked and something else. Is, I just can just do one thing at a time. So my favourite risotto is uh, risotto primavera with mm. delicious vegetables from the garden, uh, broad beans, peas, asparagus. Um, I have a lovely vegetable garden at home. And so um, it slightly depends on what time of year, but that's my favourite. Mm. Would you serve a pudding? I would serve a pudding. Um, and actually, Margie, the pudding I would serve is probably banana ice cream oh, really? <laughs> no and way, brownies. Oh, my goodness. Again, very, very simple. <laughs> um, delicious. I think that's interesting what you say, that there's an Italian theme going through, and, and yet you said that you don't feel that you are a good cook but I think that's interesting because Italian food in particular is all about the ingredients and it is very simple and I think that's something to focus on like it, you can be a brilliant cook and cook simple things don't yeah. the Italians say that no more than three ingredients or something like there's yeah. something like that they say yeah, yeah. that suits me perfectly yeah. Yeah, I think that's what you need to start saying like, yeah. I am a brilliant yeah. cook and okay, uh, I'm gonna I try that. on Italian food yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on Desert Island Dishes we have a cookbook corner so I'd love to to know what is your most treasured cookbook? I think the cookbook I would choose is the River Cafe. Mm. I can't remember what the name is. It's the one with the blue cover, the oh, Blue okay. River Cafe book. <laughs> and is there something like do you cook from that often, or is it just one that you've had for a long time? My mother had it, and I've definitely had it for a long time. We're on to the final seventh desert island dish, and that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. I've had to think about this a lot. And um, weirdly, my husband has a pub, which is his absolute passion um, in Sussex. It's called the Horse and Groom. And the classic horse and groom dish is a twice cooked cheese souffle. Absolutely Yum. delicious. And it is, she's making my mouth, my mouth water now <laughs> thinking about it. Absolutely um, delicious. That's what I'd want it to be. And it really would remind me of home. Home is is West Sussex. I absolutely love where we live. It's um, There's so much to do there. We're just we're a mile from the sea, bottom of the downs. We have the most amazing um, art gallery, Pallant House. We're just next to Goodwood. There's just amazing theatre and it's, it's real home for my children and it's a very very happy place mm. so I think that cheese souffle would make me think of all of those things yeah. would you have a pudding before we send you off I'd definitely have more ice cream okay <laughs> <laughs> vanilla uh, ice cream or there's a delicious uh, Italian it's fior di latte it's kind of vanilla between something vanilla and um, yogurt delicious mm. well with that we will send you off to the island thank you so much Anushka those were your desert island dishes thank you so much for having me so there we have it another delicious day of desert island dishes don't forget that you can rate review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen it really does make such a difference I don't know why but it boosts the show in the charts and helps others to find it which is great and means that we can keep bringing it to you each week 
If you don't already, then come and follow us on Instagram at Desert Island Dishes. And you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at DesertIslandDishes.co. Thank you again to Lloyds Bank, our sponsor for this season of Desert Island Dishes. And thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. Bye.